Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Dose Nation. I'm your host, Jay Kettle, and with me, as always, is founder of DoseNation.com, author of Psychedelic Information Theory, and founder of the blog, James Kent. James, how are you? I'm doing pretty well today, Jake. How are you? Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you. I hope you had a uh, a good one. And uh, you know what? L- l- let's just get this out of the way first, since I know that some of our viewers may be wondering, what is your New Year's resolution, James? Um, I don't ever really make New Year's resolutions. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, I think the last New Year's resolution I did, I made was to, um, stretch out and do more physical activity, um, before I sit down and start to do work. And, um, maybe many years back, I had a New Year's resolution of, um, getting a massage or something like once a month. I guess all of my resolutions have to do with keeping my, my, um, my phys- my muscle tone. Uh, limber because I have problems with cramping and back pain sometimes from, I guess, probably sitting in the chair and being in front of the computer too much. So, uh, yeah, stretching out, doing a little bit of yoga, getting a little bit of body work is usually the things that well, I think about at the end of the year. <laughs> what was the, uh, uh, what was the joke that I had, uh, made to you? Um, you know, uh, to, since you sit, you know, near the computer all day, um, you know, you're, you're you're more fit to be swinging an axe or something. You know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, wielding yeah. a double axe. Be, yeah, I should be <laughs> running across an open plain somewhere, hunting deer with a with a stone tool. <laughs> it's really what my my body is designed for. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that we've evolved into sitting in uh, chairs and pushing buttons all day it's is crazy. Is fairly weird. But uh, <laughs> that is how I make my living. Although I've been on vacation for the last few weeks, and that's been nice. So. Um, and, uh, I'm always feeling better when I'm on vacation. Well, that's good. Yeah. And my New Year's resolution is uh, not to have a New Year's resolution, <laughs> uh, or or to or to try to make one next year. That's that's my New Year's resolution to try to make a New Year's resolution this year. Um, for those, and just a quick announcement at the top of the podcast for those of you who don't know, um, if you're listening to this, that means that I am probably uh, away at the Abbey. Uh, I will be leaving um, uh, this coming week and um i'm going to be up there for a few days and uh, you guys will get a report and some pictures and things like that when i come back uh, so it should be fun yeah it should be an, it should be a great uh a great experience as it always is and of course it's it'll be nice to decompress and to uh, meditate and to uh, get away from the busyness of the world so cool but uh yeah so let's move into our topics today and uh you, you, and I know that, uh, and I had seen the, and I had. Uh, we were going to roughly take talk a look about at the article. things that happened in 2013 that we didn't cover, but there's really not that many of them. I mean, if I no. really scratched my head, I could think of a lot of them. But we, you know, there's marijuana legalization and some political things, Which, and a few research things that you know are, are probably you know just more trend type things than than really huge events. Um, but there was one DMT uh, event. Yeah, there's there's one thing that people have uh, written to me about and asked me about, which was the uh, rat pineal gland DMT study that um, Cottonwood Foundation, which is Rick Strassman's research foundation, um, published. It's the um, analysis of endogenous dimethyltryptamine hallucinogens, their precursors and major metabolites in rat pineal gland microdialysate. Um, All right. <laughs> and what this is, is this is a mass 
chromatography or spectrometry study, which is using these super fine molecular molecular analysis tools to find trace amounts of DMT in fluid extracted from rat pineal glands. Now, I have not read the full study. That's that's basically all I know. I don't know what the amount of DMT that was founded, but I know that it was so trace small that they needed mass spectrometry. Spectrometry, excuse me. Um, I'm going to fumble on that every time to uh, to to find it. Now, this is this study is interesting because Rick Strassman theorized that there was DMT in in the pineal gland uh, many years ago, back in the early 1990s. And most everybody in the field said, oh, that's just crazy, you know, or that's impossible. Or if, if there is DMT, you know, I think probably the more common wisdom was, well, if there is DMT in the pineal gland, it's in there in such trace amounts that it doesn't even register in our perceptual system. Which was kind of my opinion. I said, well, I looked at his synthesis from tryptophan to melatonin and I saw, yes, you know, if you have a gland that, that synthesizes melatonin and it uses these chemicals to synthesize melatonin for, you know, it's like a factory that creates melatonin. For every hundred thousand melatonin molecules that get created, you're going to have a couple errors and maybe DMT or 5-MeO-DMT or some other d- tryptamine hallucinogen that's very simple in nature may pop out of that equation somewhere just as an error and you know that's kind of what rick strassman was 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 saying and now it turns out that um yes dmt is found in the pineal gland but dmt is actually found in other places in the body i think they found it in lung cell tissue and um, other tissues that that uh that um are, are part of the um when I was speaking about the blood system, the cardiovascular system, uh, particularly. So the fact that DMT exists in the mammalian biosystem is not technically news. It's not earth shattering news because we know it's been there for a long time. The fact that it's been found in the pineal gland is a personal victory for Rick Strassman. I'll give him that, but it doesn't really change the nature of what we know about endogenous DMT. Um, if you know what I'm saying. Right. And if you, and if, and if this is what I tell people who ask me, you know, does this mean that Rick Strassman is right or that all of his theory is right? And I say, no, it only means that the first piece of his theory that trace amounts of DMT may exist in the human biosystem is true. And, you know, it's, it's, and that's a, that's a great discovery because you say, well, ha, humans have an endogenous hallucinogen in their body. And I have to say, wait, we'll do that. Because, well, first of all, you could say dopamine is an endogenous hallucinogen. And if people who have overregulation of dopamine begin hallucinating, that's what happens. You know, these people will go psychotic because they have these surges of dopamine that cause them to see and believe things that are not true. So dopamine is essentially an endogenous hallucinogen for some people. Um, DMT, uh, well, so <laughs> many of our neurochemicals create phantom sensations. They are essentially hallucinations which provide nice pictures of, of the reality that we're perceiving. So they all uh, create hallucinations in our head to some extent. That's what neurotransmitters do is they send these perceptual signals back and forth. 
And uh, they're not the original sensation. The original sensation originates at the peripheral nerve in the eye or the fingers or the nose or the tongue. Everything that gets passed around inside the head from that point is essentially a hallucination. It's, it's a compressed um, ghost representation of the original sensation. Now, finding DMT in the pineal gland, according to Rick Strassman, means that human beings can, in times of stress, start pumping out surges of DMT that make them go into the DMT flash. That is his thesis. And my understanding of this system is that this is fundamentally incorrect. That aspect of his theory is fundamentally incorrect because we have an endogenous opiate. We have a couple of endogenous opiates. They're called endorphins. Endomorphines is what, what they are. They're sh- an endorphin is short for endogenous morphine. And we know we have endogenous morphine because when we do things like have an orgasm, our body goes all warm and soft and, and numb like we just got a shot of morphine. <laughs> right? And when somebody's shoots morphine or, or snorts heroin for the first time, they describe it as it's like having an orgasm all over my body. <laughs> right? Because well, well, they're comparing I, it to that endogenous feeling of morphine that they're used to. I've never been administered it, so I don't know. Well, okay, so well I'm you can just go off of written descriptions. Right, it's right. Fairly, I mean I mean generally common, but if you've yeah. ever, you know, if you've ever had an orgasm or you've ever glutted yourself with food and had that sort of numb sensation oh, being oh. completely <laughs> like, oh my god. Oh yes, yes, that's, yes. That's what heroin is like when you when you shoot it up. You just immediately go into that. Oh my god. So heroin. So so. And it's just like all over your body, like you're coming. So we can so we can compare heroin with with uh, with, right. a, with so an orgasm yeah. or eating a king's feast. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, like times a hundred, right? The yeah. first time you do heroin is, is 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 just amazing. It's never as good as the first time, by the way, people. So don't you don't yeah, need to go down that road. Don't do heroin, please. But yeah, the first few times you get that rush, there's nothing like it in the world. So um, you when we look at when we look at endogenous psychoactive molecules, mm-hmm. you say, ah, oh, we have an endogenous morphine. We get morphine highs from you know running a long time you know you get these runner right. ball highs or eating or you know you say there's mean, all of these things that will trigger this endogenous or morphine people who are into and not only sports. that morphine exists in plants right it is you know something that we can extract from plants and then take and we can use an exogenous morphine to replicate those feelings and we say okay so we have a morphine system we have an endogenous morphine system that's a very compelling argument now let's go back to the, we actually have glands that produce these endogenous morphines right now, let's go back to the DMT analysis and say we have an endogenous hallucinogen, DMT. Now, when people smoke DMT, do they say, oh, yeah, that's just like when I yawn too hard? No. No. <laughs> they say, this is like nothing I have ever felt ever in my entire life. Right. It becomes... It, it's, they have no frame of reference. There's no. nothing to compare no. it to. It's completely crazy off the walls, off the rails. And I mean, even... even even the even the the ravings of the most crazy psychotic paranoid people that you find admitting into the clinics, they don't talk about 
fluorescent jungle vines with elves jumping out of their chests and, you know, these demon spawns with whatever rising up out of the ectoplasm. You know, that is all just science fiction craziness that doesn't, that, that there is no human frame of reference for before you actually take DMT. You never smoke DMT and go, oh, yeah, that's just like that time I got really angry and, no. and had you a know, flash. But I mean, well, I mean, with, with, I mean, DMT, I mean, I would go as far to say as, is, it's, it's unlike other psychotropic, psychotropic experiences. It's almost unique in its experience. It, it's, it's, it's so, it's so perceptually unique. It's different than LSD. You, it's different. It's than, different. Than, it's different than everything that, yeah. that we have no particular frame of reference for the experience until we actually do it. And even when we do it, we try to fit the experience into other frame of references like, Oh, hyperspatial elves or, you know, um, the jungle plant spirits or Gaian minds or aliens from Perseus Omicron six, or <laughs> that's, that's a Futurama planet. I know I'm making fun here, but, um, yeah. so, you know, they, people try to fit all of these different pseudo religious sci-fi fantasy archetypes over the experience because it is so far out of our domain of everyday existence. Now, if, if we, and here's the other thing, the other thing is that, if the pineal gland or any other part of the body does create a trace amount of DMT, that DMT is treated like a toxin and destroyed immediately. It is not allowed to build up in the system. In fact, the system is actually actively searching for compounds like DMT to destroy immediately because they will interfere with the serotonin system. Right. And, and actually, that's, I, you know, I mean, the DMT experience is incredibly short. Compared, sure, because it gets it gets it gets, it gets eaten up. It gets eaten up very quickly, and when you do something to artificially extend it, what happens? The body entirely purges all of the liquid in it. Right. The body, the body shits and vomits itself. Well, look at ayahuasca until you know? all of the water is recycled exactly. because it feels like it's been poisoned. Right. Well, it's I mean, a toxic response. Look at ayahuasca, and, and so. part of that toxic response is the is the hallucinating. Um, you know, if you if you have vertigo or seasickness. And your horizon line starts shifting, like you're hallucinating, your body will immediately want to purge itself. And that is because it believes it's been poisoned. Right. So, so the fact that DMT acts like a poison means that it is something that happens accidentally in the system. There is no DMT gland. DMT is not a regulatory chemical. If it was a regulatory chemical, there would be a specific DMT gland that only produced DMT. The pineal gland produces melatonin, which is, you know, produced in reaction to light and dark, makes us sleepy, it regulates our circadian rhythms, moods, digestion, all of these really subtle serotonin systems that are not related to perception, perception, they're related to long-term changes circadian changes not only through every day but through every year also to health too because i mean if you can't sleep you go insane you know if you don't sleep for i don't know three weeks you start going absolutely absolutely and and now you it's it's the 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 melatonin and the pineal gland pineal gland is very small it's centered there at the brainstem it's in a very centralized location because it needs to sort of control the whole brain with this very slow clockwork you know, it's not, like I said, it's not fast perceptual clockwork. It's very slow hibernating clockwork. I mean, this is the thing that, that tells bears to hibernate. 
Now, you, you, you would think if the pineal gland was, was essential to perception and survival, that if you removed it, you would be killing the organism. But that's not true. You can have your pineal gland removed. People have cancer in their pineal, pineal tumors that they need to have in their pineal gland removed, and they're fine. They take melatonin supplements so that they, they keep their rhythms in check. But otherwise, they function normally like normal people. They could even smoke DMT and get high, and, you know, it's, it's, it's like, okay. Pineal gland is an important part of our biorhythms, but it's not an essential part of the human, you know, brain. You can remove it and it doesn't change perception at all. It doesn't change our cognition at all. You know, um, we still remain alert and happy and healthy uh, as long as we get our melatonin supplements. So assuming that the pineal gland is the seat of the soul or is some gateway for traversing and communicating with aliens or the afterlife or the spiritual dimension in some way is just all hogwash and gibberish. Um, no matter how much DMT you find in there. Excuse me. Now I have a barking dog problem. <laughs> <laughs> it happens all the time. Trust me. It's okay. Oh Lord. Yeah. I'm, uh, the whole DMT issue has been kind of a little bit of enigma, a little bit of an, an enigma to me, if I can get the word out properly. Lord. Um, no, yeah. okay, I'm back. Okay, yeah. Um, I was just saying. So, so let me, let me okay. wrap this up. So, yeah. the idea that, that the DMT in the pineal gland is some sort of essential functioning of the human organism that gives us our spiritual dimension is just is just false i mean that is just too it just oversimplifies it way too much and not only that it's wrong because people do not have spontaneous dmt flashes if if they did we would have a wide body of literature on people having spontaneous dmt flashes that we could refer to so that when people smoke DMT, we can say, oh, 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 yeah, you're going through this. You know, you're going through St. Vitus dance or whatever they call it, which is always in reaction to some kind of poisoning, you know, some kind of psychoactive poisoning. I mean, I don't want to use a harsh term because a lot of people use this as a spiritual pursuit. And in fact, you know, self-poisoning or inebriation or intoxication are all parts of spiritual um, pursuit because you're exploring your own brain and the perceptions, the boundaries of your own perceptions. So that's all valid, even though I say poisoning. But you've got to remember, it's still a poison and you don't want your body leaking that into you every day as a regulatory device. It's something that happens accidentally in very trace amounts and your body cleans it up very quick. And I, I say, you know, the body creates alcohol sometimes in, in, you know, when it's, when it's processing sugar, it creates ammonia all the time as, you know, an accidental byproduct of doing other things. You do not want your body creating endogenous alcohol that makes you drunk. So your body breaks it down and cleans it out and you pee it out. Same thing with ammonia. You don't want your body creating endogenous ammonia that makes you pass out and get dizzy and high. Um, so it, 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 it breaks those stuff down and, and, pa and it passes it away. Same thing with DMT. You don't want your body producing DMT and making you dizzy and hallucinating and purging yourself all the time. So it, it breaks it up and, 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 and spits it out. 
Um, and that's the way the body works. Uh, it, it sometimes accidentally or by necessity in the transitional process of doing another metabolic function creates these toxic byproducts that it needs to release. And, um, you know, what can I say? To me, that's what DMT looks like. It does not look like an endogenous hallucinogen, like an, an endomorphine. It does not look like that. But on, the, looks, well, right. but on the other end, actually, it makes a stronger case for um, ayahuasca as a healing pur- purgative type uh, substance, because if, if, if that's in fact what it's doing, if you're overloading your body and then it's purging everything out of it, you see what I'm saying? Well, yeah, that's absolutely the medicinal benefit of right, ayahuasca therapy. Is, is it, it, is is it, is it purges your system and it reboots your system. Um, it completely purges your system and resets your this whole circadian rhythm. All of your circadian rhythms and routines that are modulated by melatonin and serotonin are completely disrupted and, 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 and interrupted. So your sense of time passing... Your sense of self, your sense of your body, you know, moving as a coherent organism through time shatters apart. And your cells start purging out all their liquids. And, you know, your body goes through this violent, like a sponge squeezing. And then everything starts to reassemble. And that reassembling process is like being reborn. And that's why your body comes back online cell by cell and every cell comes back online with an all good and that all good feeling as your cells come back online makes you go holy shit i forgot how amazing the human organism is right or you I feel like how a new amazing man. being an organism is you know mm-hmm. i've gotten all of the the you know waste i've gotten all of the horrible stuff inside of me purged and for once i feel you know clean and pure and whole right well, and, you know, and that's extremely healing. I mean, that's extremely oh, healing, even if it's just a placebo effect. Well, here's the but thing. I, but there is, I think, a deep genetic effect there. When the cells actually start to go through that process of, of regeneration and healing. Well, and can, and not only that, not only that, um, purging out cells that are corrupt, which is something that the body does every now and then. They say, oh, this cell is, is kind of messed up and not working anymore. They kill it and they replace it with a new cell. So I think there's a lot of that going on. Let me also uh, process too. make this argument as well, um, which is that in that purgative process that we're discussing here, um, diseases can be can be alleviated because the you know because your body is purging all of the crap out of it, for lack of a better word. The other thing that I think is interesting is that I was reading an article that says that certain memories are passed down through genes. Yes. Um, at, you know, from, from generation to generation to generation to generation. So the other question would be, is let's... Well, what, ty- what types of memories? Well, I'm not... They're, it, it didn't specify. It said memory imprints in the genes. Like, um, you know, we have certain memories of, of, of smelling certain things or, or being in a certain place or... Um, doing a certain thing that we never so, did so as another person, almost sensory memories. It's like this is not our memory, but it's it's in us anyway. So like a deja vu kind it's, of thing, right? But it's a memory of let's say. But then let's say the guy goes back and he looks something up and he finds out that ah, well, my great grandfather was in the First World War. He fought here and he saw this and he saw that. 
I smell mustard gas, I smell this, I, you know, I see this, I can taste it, you know, or whatever. I, I, I'm not sure. Where did you, how where did you read works. that? The article came out, oh, I've seen it a couple of times now. Maybe I'm misquoting the article, and I very well could be, but, um, and I have the, 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 uh, you know, I'm, well, this I'm fine is, to this admit has it. Been, this has been long a speculative, uh, part of, of genetics is whether or not, um, experiences Right. Of the parents can be encoded into their DNA and passed down. Um, and whether those experiences are encoded as, say, particular senses, like, like, like emotional reactions to certain colors and sounds, or emotional reactions to certain, you know, um, the way certain lines are, are put together. Like human beings like round lines. They like round, soft curves. They don't like sharp, jagged edges. Is that something that is encoded into our DNA? And can there be human beings that are that are born thinking that sharp, jagged edges are beautiful and rounded lines are ugly? I mean, these are all very complex questions about where do our emotional and behavioral responses to stimulus start? Do, do are they learned, or mm. are some of the basic things encoded? Like, are we just encoded to think that the shape of lips are beautiful well right or is it something that we slowly learn because if you think about it lips are sort of weird right they're slimy and puffy and covered with mucus and but we we see like that the, the the image like the rolling stoge image of lips and we go oh yes that's that's beauty Right, right, or that's, that's hot or whatever you right, want to call yeah, it. Right, exactly. Yeah. So so what is encoded in us that makes us think that makes us think, oh yeah, puffy red lips are hot, where a, a baboon would think like a, like another baboon's puffy red ass. Was, <laughs> was, was, <laughs> well, well, right? this is, well, look, 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 look. This is what I would say. These are necessary biological thoughts that we need in order to have uh, relations with other humans, right? Sexual relations with other humans to procreate and create more of us. So just in the same way that the baboon looks... <laughs> The way you said it made me laugh. Um, the, the, so, so in the way that the, the, the baboon looks at the other baboon's a, or the other baboon's ass and says, "Now that is a hot ass, right? <laughs> that that is that is that is some baboon booty that I want to get my hands on, right? This is this is in the mind of the baboon, okay? Yeah, nobody it, teaches the baboon. No, no, right, right, right. And see, baboons are are I mean, they're intelligent, but only up to a certain point, right? So they can learn how to do certain things, and they can climb trees, and they can use their feet as hands, and what or whatever else. But nobody, but but they don't have the kind of cultured, uh, you know, thought that we do, in in which I can teach my child that in you know uh, fourteen, uh, or you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? There's no there there there's no encoding there in that way. So, at least not in the way that we do it. So. Uh, I would say that that that's more of a purely genetic thing. It's just look, we need to procreate, we need to continue the race, right. and you know, it doesn't matter if the puffy red lips are, are logically or, or realistically if they're attractive or unattractive from a from a just a, an objective standpoint that is irrelevant because our bodies need to see those as attractive. We need to see. Let's say a female is attractive, or if you're gay, a man is attractive, in order to continue our, our, you know, our, our process. Right, and and you can say that some of these are learned behaviors. Like we right. learn that 
you don't eat things that are bitter or that have they're, mold they're on poison, them. Right. right? You don't eat and, things with mold. Right. <laughs> and there's and you know, so how does this go back to the DMT conversation we were having? You were saying that you that certain the, memories the, the were memories, encoded right. through procreation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so what kind of memories are you talking about specifically? What was the, the jump there? I've been trying in, to, I, I'm actually trying to go back and, 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 uh, and find the article. Um, because now I've lost the grander point that I was trying to make. <laughs> so yeah, okay, ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens when we, when we go on long tangents here on Disney. No, this is when we don't have, we don't have a specific topic <laughs> list in mind. But we've gone from um, DMT in the pineal gland, uh, which you know, it's it's interesting because there it seems like there should be, if there was like a sutra, like a yoga sutra that you could do that would make you release your pineal DMT, that that's what people would be doing in Los Angeles right now instead of you know like hot yoga or whatever, right? Or um, you know there or erotic yoga or whatever there are sutras there are you know there's there's a hundred thousand different techniques for releasing your endomorphins right i mean you could just masturbate and release your endomorphins or you could do like (laughs) you could do like some extended um you know i can't remember what it's tantra yoga right? oh god yeah that gets it gets all of those endomorphins just like just like you know oozing out of your pores right hey, look so i can do that all day long man but if there's no partner <laughs> i mean ga- i mean game over right right there is no sutra that 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 reliably delivers that dmt flash and i think terence mckenna was one of the most vehement arguers of that point uh because you know he basically would just say listen ladies and gentlemen you have to pick up the pipe and try it for yourselves i mean that was his whole thing because it will never happen on the natch on the natch was his you know catchphrase if it happens on the natch that means you're crazy um you know we know what that's called that's called being insane uh and i don't know if people dmt flash on the natch it seems like it would be if if you're inclined to dmt flash on the natch you would know it. You would know that, oh, yes, this is this is what I've been doing. And there are people who say, oh, what about Charles Benet syndrome? These people with Charles Benet syndrome, they see elves in the corner of their eyes or something like that. And that's a very different kind of thing. That's not DMT elves. That's um, hallucinations caused by the macular degeneration of the retina, the peripheral vision. Um, they lose stability in their peripheral motion sensing, and they're always seeing little things moving in the corner of their eye, like little rats scurrying or little dwarves peeking their faces in and out. Um, and when they go to look, there's nothing there. But that's something that happens to, to people every day. You know, you're walking down the street and you see a shadow move or a leaf and you think, oh, was that a squirrel? And you go, oh, no, it was just a leaf. Right. <laughs> right. Or it's just, a, you know, and you're seeing imaginary squirrels just because there was a little bit of, of unknown motion out of the corner of your eye. That's what happens to people with Charles Benet syndrome, but all the time. I mean, it's happening to them all the time whenever they're, because they're, they're, the, the cells that provide that rotational stability and their motion sensing in the periphery are breaking down and they've got that constant thing now. And if people, people who take LSD, We'll know what I'm talking about when I say this, this rotational stability, um, or this, 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 that stability in the, in the periphery. 
because that's one of the first things that start to go in LSD hallucination is all the shadows and things sort of creeping in out of the corner of your periphery start to become like fisheye lens style poking in at you and kind of waving <laughs> like hello you're tripping now <laughs> and you know like all of the shadows and textures on the on the on the walls in your peripheral vision just start to go and you're like, wow <laughs> And yeah, that's, that's kind of what happens to people who have that, this, this very rare, uh, Charles Benet syndrome. Um, and then it's not evidence of, of endogenous DMT flashing. Um, did Moses have an endogenous DMT flash on the mount? Who knows what Moses was smoking? You know, you can say, uh, you know, did Jesus have an endogenous DMT flash when he went and fasted in the desert? Who knows what Jesus was high on? I mean, that guy was high all the time, as far as I can tell. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if he was high. I think he had achieved a certain state of consciousness. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, he was he was speaking from another plane of consciousness. He was uh, operating at a different level yeah, than but everybody I, else around him. Uh, but I do, whatever, not, I do not believe he that was, he did that artificially, though. I think that, he, that, that when he was preaching, I don't know if that was an artificial. I think that he was able to raise that on his own. Well, yeah, but the prophets say that Jesus was different after he came back from the desert. Right, he was, he was, he, he was different, but he basically went yeah, out. And so, yeah, if he went out and you know and had some an sort aesthetic. of psychotic episode or what happened to him out there, he was gnashing his teeth and you know pounding his fist into the dirt and running around naked and cursing this guy. Who knows? You know, it was some sort of cathartic event for him. Whatever. Well, I mean, on. I mean, anybody who goes into desert isolation. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, I don't think it was a, I don't think it was a DMT flash. Otherwise, Jesus would have come back with a, with a, with a very different prophecy. You know what I'm saying? It would have been you know, John the Baptist style stuff. Well, well, I mean, what do you mean? You I mean, get... not, not not John the Baptist. I mean, um, uh, the John of Revelations. Oh, oh, oh! You mean yeah, on the island of Patmos, yeah, and all that. Where, yes. he, where, he, where, where he had his visions. Mm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. You know, I've I've read the book of Revelation, and I and I'm not quite sure what to make of it. Um, because I'm not a little. See, the thing is, is that I don't. When, when I read the Bible, I don't read it literally. Um, well, you have to remember that the that the book of Revelations was written as a vision. Right. It was not. It was not supposed to be taken literally. He saw a vision, and he wrote down his vision. Yeah. Of what he saw. And, Absolutely, and it's so. So I mean, and and of course, if I mean anybody who has any idea about you know visionary experiences knows that yes, you have a vision, but there's also a part of interpretation of the vision, where you have to try to understand it, or maybe well, yeah, not incorpor incorporated into your daily life. I mean, you can right. say what does this vision is, mean? Right. Yeah. You don't does just revelations take mean that we should live a better life, or does it mean that we should try to breed an albino cow? Yeah, I mean, and the other question, is, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> you can take it literally, or you could just take pull out you know, the lessons and, and, and apply them. And literally, are four horsemen going to come down, known as pestilence and all these other things, or is it going to be more of like there's going to be mass famine, and then there's going to be mass war, and then there's going to be mass death? You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe, the, maybe it's uh, again, we're, you know, but are four horsemen going to come out of the sky and all that kind of stuff? I, I don't know. You know, that's that's. Why, it's, it's, I mean, again, if you read it literally, then yes, that's, that's what you think is going to happen. If you, 
take it more allegorically, you you might take it as well, where uh, you know we will bring these these curses upon ourselves by allowing our let's say lower nature, so to speak, to grab hold of us. Yeah, and I've heard people say that. Um, you know, the, oh, there are meditations that you can do. You could go, there are these monks that go sit in darkness for weeks at a time. And after they've been in complete darkness in these caves for something like 72 hours or, I don't know, maybe even as much as a week, that they start producing 5-MeO-DMT that allows them to see in the dark. Or some other chemical, other, you know, other than melatonin, that allows them super perception. And I think, well, that's interesting, but very radical because you have to go spend two weeks in the darkness to, to do that. And who knows what else you're doing to your body when you're putting it in darkness and isolation. So I'm willing to concede that perhaps the pineal gland may have dual use or dual purpose and it and it can produce things other than melatonin in extreme situations i just don't think it's very convincing that people throughout history have been having dmt flashes right because again you know what happened to the elves where are the uh you know and all that kind of stuff you know G uh, jesus or buddha or whoever i mean these people are not talking about elves and cosmic uh you know uh, well, if you look at the Hindu gods, I mean, they're pretty crazy. You got the Shiva with the, the thousand arms holding out behind them, and the the elephant-headed god. Yeah, and but if you all of these, you know, crazy gods made of gold that come in surfing on clamshells, it's like whoa. But they, but but again, <laughs> but but again, they all. I don't care if there are millions of them. They all represent something. In the Greek pantheon, they all represented something. Even though they were gods, they were also a representation of something else. Like a personification of the human emotion, right? Or a personifier, exactly. And when you and uh, you know and and all these different gods lived as humans did, and they had human emotions, right? Um, so you're looking at it from th through. I mean, I I see it through that lens as it is a reflection of um, human human archetype, so to speak, certain things that are innate to all humans, things like things like uh, greed and goodness, right? I mean, a person can be a real, a real, you know, asshole, or they can be, uh, you know, a saint. It's just different, it's just different, uh, it's a personification of different human traits. Right, and... And maybe every arm, and maybe every arm on that person's body indicates a certain thing that you should not do, right? But it's still representing certain things. <laughs> it's like one, a different hand will slap you for every sin that you can think of. Right, or, or, you know, you know, here, okay, this is, this, this is the arm that says not to do this, this is the arm that says to do this, this is the arm that says to do that, uh, and so on and so forth. I don't so want to reinterpret Hindu, Hindu mythology. Neither do I, because I don't know anything well, about would, Hindu mythology. What I would like to say, though, is that if, so the ultimate, the ultimate theory, we follow it along with the, the, the whole spirit molecule theory, is that there is a true spirituality that's mediated by this DMT, this endogenous hallucinogen, that allows us to contact some kind of spirit entities in a higher dimensional realm, as much as I hate using that, that term. I, I just don't know if there's any other term for it. 
Um, you know, and I would be more swayed that this was an accurate interpretation if, in fact, everybody had the same sort of reaction to DMT. I mean, if everybody had the same, oh, I see pearly gates and angels, or, oh, I see elves, or, oh, I see aliens and UFOs landing, or I see, you know, jungle vines and jaguars. If everybody had one single thing that they saw that all pointed to a same sort of unique, specific experience that isn't created by the individual, I would be able to say, well, yes, maybe this is a gateway to some sort of specific space where specific creatures exist. But that's not what happens. Everybody has a slightly different reaction to it. And some people see entities and spirits and other people don't see entities and spirits. And the entities and spirits that people see are of every single kind. They're of an infinite variety. And it's never like one single message that they receive. It's never one unifying thing. It's like showing up at a subway station and who knows what kind of a crazy babbling person you're going to run into in the crowd of people that you, you meet. And to say that, oh, no, well, it's just, a, it's just a complex spirit dimension and who knows what you're going to meet in there. It doesn't answer any questions about the, the reality of that space or the, the notion that we are all born with a chemical attachment to a spirit world called DMT. That just doesn't, that just doesn't jibe for me because, like I said, you can – there's all sorts of different – weird spirit universes that have been described by humans, none of them sound like what happens to me when I smoke DMT. <laughs> right. Right. That's so it's, that is a weird playground that is the domain of my own mind. I mean, because it's just it's just so unlike any other descriptors I've ever seen for anything. Um, that I have to come up with my own descriptors that I'm taking from my language of things that I've experienced in my life, like cartoons and, um, you know, mathematical formulas, uh, which is, are, which are not what a, a jungle shaman is going to see when they take DMT. Uh, they're going to see vines and jaguars and, you know, the spirits of their ancestors. Uh, whereas I get, you know, the spirits of my ancestors, which are cartoons and mathematical formulas. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just going to simply say, I, you know, I mean, again, people are going to interpret their, are going to experience it as they experience it because from their point of reference. Right. And the thing that I feel, I, I, the thing that I fear the most is, you know, it's okay to, to have these theories about DMT. Um, in fact, it's fun to to talk about these things and imagine a world where, yeah, we are connected to the spirit realm through this chemical gate, and that everything that Rick Strassman says is true, and that everything that Terrence McKenna says is true, but the reality is much more boring and mundane. Well, really. now, you know what? When, when you look at it, but and, and and when you start getting to the point where you say, well, no... The fact that we found DMT in the pineal gland means there is only one true religion and one true answer, and that the DMT channel is the only true channel to spiritual ascension. That just becomes some kind of elitist garbage to me. It's it's just horribly small-minded 
thinking that, you know, the one true channel to spirituality is this crazy hallucinogenic experience that leaves you not sure what just happened. I mean, that's not, you can't use the DMT flash as a guidebook for living your life. You yeah. cannot find all the answers to living in the DMT flash. It's, it's silly to think that hallucinating spirits are going to give you a, a, a better or more greater understanding of the universe that we live in. And in fact, I meet a lot of people who are really smug and self-satisfied who think they know what's going on because they've smoked DMT and or my experience as a mushrooms who many years later come back and say, Oh yeah, I was really kind of full of myself back then <laughs> right? mm. because they don't understand that it's, you know, not all the answers lie in this sort of esoteric pulling the veil back. It's just like, you know, it's just one aspect of understanding. And that brings, yeah. and that brings me to a point that I wanted to make during the show today. <clears throat> that I know that um, that somebody had had commented about, and they can't make the casual connection. So I'll make the connection then. I'll just lay it out. Well, what was the comment? Uh, the 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 comment was, uh, as you said, people sort of have a hodgepodge uh, experience and things like that. And uh, what the comment was. Um, was this a comment made by Gregory? Yeah, it was on the. Uh, you guys can find it if if you're listening uh, to us. You you can find it right on the Dose Nation site under the uh, last podcast that we did. And, which was the radical mycology. Yes, uh, which was great with Peter McCoy. If you guys get a chance to, please go listen to that. That was really interesting. Um, but uh, I'm going to address uh, some of his um, some of his some of what he directed to me. Jake mentioned uh, various religions as a means for creating context, but neo-Jungian and transpersonal psychologists in the holotropic breathwork crowd talk about creating a space for the individual to interpret their experiences in their own way, rather than relying on available framework. Given the nature of people's minds, this is likely to involve a hodgepodge of different images, metaphors, ideas, and symbols drawn from, from this full spectrum of, uh, of a person's experience. But it seems that you both associate that. What is your take on this approach to psychological integration, psychedelic or otherwise? Although I think I already have an idea which leads me to, you both implied that the hodgepodge approach leads to some kind of misguided New Age ego trip but did not explain how, and I was unable to make the casual leap from one to the other. I, I've certainly encountered far too many irritating New Agers attempting to patent a cosmology and sell healing trinkets to saps, but I've also encountered ind individuals with strong, stable, stable minds who use elements of religions, myths, stories, and philosophies, and philosophies from all over the world to explain and integrate their experiences. I do not see how narrowing one's scope is automatically superior to taking in data from broad sources. They seem to me like two different approaches, useful depending on the, on the individual and the situation. Can you can you explain to me what is so unappealing to you about the hodgepodge approach? So, well, I have my own answer to that, but you can go ahead. And no, go you first. know what? You go first, and I'll go second. Well, my problem with the hodgepodge approach is that people people sometimes assume that because they observe something, they take it as self evident that it's true. And there, the, the big examples that I like to use are people assume, people used to assume that the earth is flat because all 
all of our day-to-day existence and what we can perceive with our own eyes and our own experience tells us that the Earth is flat. No matter how high we get up, we may be able to see a slight curvature to the Earth, but it still looks pretty flat. And it also looks like the sun goes around the Earth. Now, if we were just to take these simple observations as fact, we would live in a, we would have an incorrect assumption of our, of, of our universe. You know, we, we would, we would think very genuinely that we had the correct answer because it's self, it's obvious. If you look at the ground, it's flat. And if you look up at the sky, the earth is, I mean, the sun is going around the earth. It's very obvious to anybody but a fool that this is the way that things are. Now, the only way, <laughs> but we know that those things are false now. We know that those things are false. We know the earth goes around the sun and the earth is actually round, not flat. You have to always assume that just because you observe something and believe it to be true, there is a possibility that you are completely wrong in the opposite direction. And when you go with a hodgepodge method, you may be given a piece of wisdom that on the surface appears perfectly true, but in fact is the complete opposite of the way things actually are. And that is my problem with the hodgepodge method. Because I've tried the hodgepodge method before and found myself in the position of believing something that was absolutely wrong and feeling very self-satisfied that I had uncovered some secret. Right. You know, where my secret was that I was, I was, I was believing things under false pretenses. Now that's my problem with the hodgepodge, the whole new age hodgepodge things is you can get very deep into things that seem true and accurate that are, in, in fact, not real at all. Yeah, and, that, and I'm not saying religion is immune from that. Religion just has a longer track record of rationalizing its belief systems to, to make sense in the world. Not only that. You but know what I mean? They, 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 they can be put into practice. There are documents. Because, because they have been practiced for so long. Um, the other- whereas New Age things, when you try to put them into practice... Mm-hmm. They're hit or miss. I mean, you like You're you right. said, you need a document. You need somebody selling a book that's got the wisdom and the guidelines to follow. And um, you need somebody leading the holotropic breathwork seminar to tell you how you should be feeling and how you should be interpreting what you're feeling based on this or that method. And it's all, you know, it's all sort of this this sort of trial and error kind of thing going on. And when you have a religion with codified documents, most of the trial and error are over. It's all practice at that point. And the thing is, is that, is that in order to achieve this wisdom that everyone is looking for, or at least, you know, to, to, to garner some sort of what I, the, I, I call contentness, right? And I don't even call it happiness. I just call it contentness, right? Um, by doing that, you have to do that through practice, and it, and there are systems that are already in place that have that have been in place for thousands of years that you can go through. And there are people who are far wiser than myself, who lived a very long time ago, who wrote these things down and who gave people a framework because they knew that it was needed. Because uh, and now we have them, but we don't want to use them. And I also think that that's a part of egotism. Because it says, well, I know better. I know better, I know better than this entire body 
of information, this entire body of work, I know better than thousands of highly educated <laughs> theologians. I know better than thousands of 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 people who have gone into who who have gone into like de- who have gone into deep isolation in the, in in the in the desert. I know better. I know more. I have more wisdom because I smoked a substance out of a pipe on on a couch on my couch in my living room. Okay, <laughs> Be- wrong assumption. Bad <laughs> assumption. That is the first thing that you need to, to to you need to take that idea, get it out of your head, and throw it out the window. Okay. No, no, no. I'm serious. I'm done. I am so done. I am so done listening to self-proclaimed new age gurus who sit on their ass and do absolutely nothing, okay, but either do drugs or have sex with women or do this or do that and say, oh, I'm enlightened now, I'm enlightened now, I'm enlightened now, I have this, I have that, I know all this, I have all this wisdom. I, uh, uh, wait, wait, what if they're women having sex with men? It doesn't matter if they're women <laughs> having sex with men, men having sex with women, transsexuals having sex with homosexuals. I don't care, okay? I don't care. I'm tired of these people putting this stuff out there and then degrading people who actually did the work. Right. And who this actually went out into the desert for 40 years, for 40 years, and sat in a cave and meditated. And you're telling me that you've learned more in 15 minutes sitting on your couch than that guy did in 40 years living in the desert? I have a very hard time believing that. Okay, and that tells me you have a very lo- and this is not directed at any particular viewer or any particular person. It's just directed at the, at the general idea. Okay, it just it 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 doesn't make me angry. It frustrates me because you know you're not going to learn the secrets of the universe by smoking a substance for 15 minutes on your couch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you want to believe that. I know you because you want it to be easy. You don't want it to be hard. You don't want to have to go out and do anything. You want to just smoke the shit and be done with it. Well, guess what? That's not how it works. Get it out of your head now. You are, you are pumping so, yourselves up. Hold on, let me finish. You're, pu- no, no. You're pumping yourselves up. You're putting more and more and more bullshit into your ego, okay? And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to end up lost as everyone else is. And as I, I mean, I mean, everybody is lost. But you're going to be lost, unable to admit that you're lost, because you think that you have the answers of the universe, and that if you uh, admit that you're lost, and, and and that these DMT trips didn't answer all of your questions, well, oh my god, huh, the whole world's going to fall apart, because everything hinges on the fact that this is some kind of, uh, that, that this is the, this is the be-all, end-all. Get your head out of your ass. I'm finished. Okay. Well, so this there's there's many there's many things going on um with religion. And one of the basic parts of religion is 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 the practice. And not not necessarily the belief system, not necessarily the mythology, but the practice. And like you said there are people who experiment with psychedelics and um or new age spirituality who come to the conclusion that Christianity is full of it. It's a male-driven dominator, stone age, misconception of the universe with a God that may or may not exist. Completely missing the point that Christianity, the fundamental 
the fundamentals of Christianity is be a nice person, help other people, be a pillar of your community, help out people in need, love people. You know, that's, that's the central message of Christianity. But people take a substance and go, oh, well, now I've seen true spirituality. Christianity's bunk. Now I'm going to study Buddhism, for instance. And they study meditation and Buddhism and control of their mind. And you say, well, why did you dump Christianity for Buddhism? People might say, well, because Buddhism is a truer spirituality. It's more about the inner path. And, you know, it's the only, it's the only thing that, that recognizes, the only spirituality that recognizes the, the, the true enlightenment of the individual. And I say, okay, so then what happens when the individual becomes enlightened? Oh, well, well, then, then they're a better person. They're a pillar of their community. They help the poor and they love people. And I say, well, how is that different than the ultimate message of Christianity? Oh, well, there's just less BS in Buddhism than there is in Christianity. No, 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 no. no. There, there's BS in every There is just religion. as much BS in Buddhism. You talk to somebody who converts to Islam. Oh, well, what's the matter with Christianity? Oh, they got too much with the virgin birth and all of this crazy mythos, and I don't really understand all of that. Islam is more about the, the path of the, the, you know, the, the personal struggle of the individual and their path to enlightenment. And, okay, so what happens when you reach this state of enlightenment in, in Islam? Oh, well, then you're, you're, you, you help people, you're a pillar of your community, you don't steal, and, you know, you, you love people. And it's like, okay, all right. All right, I so wait, it. are you telling me it. that we're all coming back to the essentially, it's to, to, to essentially the same, the same principles? Is that what? Oh, wow. Hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is, right, this right. is interesting. And when, and when people break out of those religious, when they when they take a, a psychedelic and they break out of those religious frameworks and they go, oh, well, this tradition is all BS. Screw tradition. Screw all this cultural tradition. We just got to get rid of all of that. They're basically giving themselves license to live a hedonist, hedonistic lifestyle without consequence. Exactly. And see, right? they're giving themselves license to be a little bit of a d bag, and they're going and, the other, <laughs> and they're going the uh, the opposite way, and being very <sighs> smug about the fact yes. that they are now free of the shackles of the culture that really just wants them to be a nice person that takes responsibility for their actions. I am not free of the shackles of culture. I am not free of all so, these different I things. I don't want I mean, to just, be come on, defender man. of religion, but there is a reason why there is religion, and that is to keep people, you know, to keep them acting in line, being nice people and treating other people with respect. That's well, really not what only that, to. but when you begin When to you take the hodgepodge route, it's more easy to go, well, what about my wants? What about my needs? What about fulfilling my needs? Because I'm an entitled individual who, who is seeking to interpret the spirituality through my lens. And it's a very, people don't realize it is a very egocentric way to go. And, um, other- you know, it's, it's like, you know, there's, I think there's a time and a place for that. I think people in their early twenties, when they're experimenting with this kind of stuff, they're out of, you know, the grip of their parents' grasp. They're out of the grip of their religion's grasp, and they can be free. This, you know, what is it, R- Rumsperga or whatever the, the Amish call it? Yeah. Where they, where they do, it's all about me. It's all about me. I'm going to explore my own spirituality and my own path and my own methods. And that's a very, I mean, it's almost a very American ideal is that 
we are going to, you know, blaze the trail for ourselves and do this and reinvent ourselves in this way. I hate to say it, man, but I think eventually people do come around to the fact that, oh, yeah, I what really what spirituality is all about. I mean, hopefully is, you know, just being a better person. Well, and, and not, I, like, and not chasing spirits through a hyperspace. That is not, I mean, that may seem spiritual, but it's not as spiritual as living a life with honor and morality and responsibility. Right. Because I mean, I mean, I mean, I could, I could, you know, we, we, we could have all the faith we want, right? I mean, we could have faith that the sky is going to turn purple tomorrow, right? <laughs> it does, it doesn't mean it's going to turn purple tomorrow. Now, if we sent jets out, right, that, uh, I don't know, sprayed, uh, our, our vantage point of the sky purple, right, then we would have created purple. Then we would have <laughs> recreated a purple sky. But does that make the sky itself purple? No. Now, you can still retain the idea of the purple sky. You can still say, well, the sky is purple, right, but we're doing it, but, and, but we understand it through this venue, just in the same way, you can retain your cosmology. You can retain whatever you, let's say, you've inherited, right? You, 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 let's say you inherited the cosmology of Buddhism or the religion of Buddhism from your parents. Or you, um, inherited Catholicism or you inherited, um, I don't know, Islam, right? Let's say, for, for example. If you break out of that and you say, well, wait a minute, essentially some of these religions are saying the same things, it doesn't mean that you have to then cast off all of the religions and say, oh, well, this is all BS. No, maybe they're all saying the same thing for a reason, and maybe there's a reason to re- for the retention of your cosmology, to retain that cosmology and that practice in order to achieve essentially what the, what the, what the religions hope to achieve. Does that make any sense? Well, yes. And it's, when you talk about inheriting a religion, it's, it can go both ways because you can inherit religion from fundamentalist parents. You could, you could, you know, you could be a Mormon. You could be in a cult where your family is very, very strict about you inheriting their religion and doing things uh, their way. When the religion is not a beneficial one for the entire community. I mean, we can get into discussions about which religions are beneficial or which are not, but, you know, growing up gay in a Mormon family is not a happy experience. No, or not growing at all. up, you know, growing up, um, you know, sexually promiscuous in an, in an evangelical Christian family is not a great way to go, you know, because you're 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 a pariah you know because you have biological urges suddenly you are a sinner and you're going to hell or something like that right um so there are kinds of there are religious ideals and practices that are not perfect and um they religion does need to be able to stand the test of time and change with the times and um you know allow people the freedom to explore but um you know, like you said, nobody nobody can go and explore and say, yeah, now I know all the right answers. All Christians are stupid. You the, know, it's, these, it's just it's just the wrong way to go. There's systems, many Christians that are very smart, very compassionate, and are pillars of their community. And co- to call them stupid just because they've adopted a belief that you don't like is just, you know, it's 
it's egotistical. It's, it's, and it's egotistical and small-minded, and you know, you've I've been to many different churches all over the world, and I found that that the people who have religion are generally happier than the people who don't, and they they see the world in you know terms that some might consider simple, but others might consider you know very wise in the fact that they don't they don't you know spend a lot of time hair splitting over the small things because they do have this central faith that keeps them in their place and you know it is for it is for people who um you know maybe don't want to go out and search as much in the world um there are some people who are just happy with the simple answer and don't want to go out and make their own hodgepodge spirituality and, well, let uh, me also make make this make this quick comment, and then I'm done. I have nothing else to say. Um, if you look, I think that when that there's the simple kind of everyday, okay, this is how we live, whether it's Christianity or Buddhism or whatever, whatever religion you follow, and then there's the ascetic part of the religion, which is actually getting in touch with whatever, whatever the cosmology, the is. higher, the, the higher exactly, power, exactly. And I would say that if you're, in, I mean, if you're interested in this concept of ascension and all that kind of stuff, it's it, it, it exists within Christianity. You just have to look for it. I mean, if you're unwilling to do research, that's not my fault. I mean, I can't, you know. I mean, I mean, just just read it, just read about it. Right, and you know, I would also like to say that there's nothing new under the sun. No. When you go to a holotropic breathwork setting. I mean, let's let's be real. Let's go back ten thousand years to the banks of the Ganges when gurus were leading people in cross-legged meditation, teaching them how to do deep breathing visualization exercises. It's it's all there. It's all been done before. Uh, you know, you can pick and choose and integrate however you want. I think the problem comes when you start assuming that your way is better or more valid because you have picked the best pieces from here and there, whereas religions are stuck in their same old cul-de-sac. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's neither here nor there. I think Gregory makes a good point in saying that, yeah, you, you can validly go and look for different ways to interpret these experiences. Um, but within the realm of spirituality, uh, you need to really keep the the ego thing in check. And when you're within a larger organization like Christianity or Islam or Buddhism, they keep your ego in check for you. And especially if you live in a in, when when in you're in your own hodgepodge New Age spirituality, there's nothing keeping your ego in check. You know, you're a you're you're a living god uh, extending yourself through the universe of of immediate pleasures. Right. Yeah. No. 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 You're right. And uh, you know, that's... and you know, you can live like that for a long time until people start calling you on your bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And this is and 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 this is what I'll say again. I'll I'll really try to make this my final comment. I'm just a researcher, man. That's it. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not enlightened. I'm not a god. I'm not. I'm not anybody special. I'm just a guy who does research. That's it. That's it. Yeah, and I'm just a guy who likes to reverse engineer things and take things apart. So. Exactly, right. So there we go. You know what I mean? I'm a guy who likes to research, who's found an interesting point, and who has tried to uh, adapt that into some practice in, in life. I mean, th that's it. <laughs> I'm, you know, so 
if 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 any of you have this idea that I have it in my head that I'm some kind of enlightened figure that's going to lead the world to salvation, then you have no idea who I am. No. <laughs> so yeah, don't. And that's you know I've had other people ask me why I haven't taken a more vocal role in being a leader in you know the psychedelic community, and that's I don't really I don't feel any I don't feel any pull to be a leader. I don't. I mean, that just sounds like work to me. You know, having to answer to people and tell people what to do and what to think. Um, I don't even, I mean, I wake up in the morning and I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to do or what I'm supposed to think. So I'm not, you know, there's nothing in me that feels the pull or call towards leadership or, you know, um, leading a movement or having people look to me as the guy with all the answers. That's, that's just, you know, secondary to what I do. If people see me as a leader, just because I kind of think out the side of the box a little bit, that's Fine. that's their vision. That's not really what, what I'm into. Look, yeah. And I mean, look, if people have questions for me or something like that, I'm more than happy to answer them. I, you know, I, I have no problem doing anything like that. Just in the same way that, you know, if people want to, to uh, see you in that way, that's fine. But I, you know, I mean, like I said, I just, look into things and people have asked me questions and I've answered them and I go deeper into the into the soup so to speak to see what what can be found and uh, that's it so if you're <laughs> what you uh, to, 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 to quote Yuji Krishnamurti uh, what you hear is the barking of a dog there yeah. is nothing I can tell you there is nothing I can show you <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, but, but, but what's funny is that people would just sit around and ask him questions and it, and, bec- and it was because he, he just patently said, there's really nothing I can do for you. Well, yeah, he liked to, he liked to burst the idea of preconception. He's and just the like, fact that, and the fact that there is such a thing as knowledge or answers. He's like, you got to go find your own answers. I can't, you know, I don't have the answers for you. <laughs> I mean, I can give you my interpretation of the answer, but I don't have the answer. You know, is the yeah, so, and I and I would say that that I I I I don't know if you feel the same way, but that's just uh, that's that's sort of how I feel about it. So anyway, we're, unfortunately, we're coming towards the end of our program today, James. That's fine. And I think I, we've we've covered this topic pretty well. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so too, um, and. Uh, I hope that it was informative, and I apologize if my blood pressure got raised earlier in the show. Uh, I just needed to get that out. I had to, I had to, 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 to address, to address that as a general topic. Again, not to any specific individual, but as a general topic. So, but uh, James, any final comments for today? Um. No, nothing. Just looking forward to an exciting 2014. I think uh, 2013, looking back on it, was not a great year. It was sort of a meh year, but I think 2014 is going to be a big year because um, I've been watching things like robotics and space exploration, and there's a lot of things moving on that frontier that I think are going to oh, start yes, that are going to start popping this year. So we'll yes, probably take are. those topics on in a different in a different episode. Yeah, which I would love to because uh, Exo. Uh Anything exo was interesting to me. Exo uh, geology, exobiology. I like all that stuff. So, if we can make greater uh, leaps in space exploration, we can make greater leaps in those fields as well, and that would make me happy. So, because I want to see 
what else is out there? Anyway, uh, well, thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. You can uh, find us on Facebook. Oh, actually, I wanted to give a shout out um, to a to a Facebook page that uh, that I that I've been posting a lot from, and I know that uh, some people are interested in it, and some people aren't. It just depends on on what you uh, on what you're into. But it's called um, Medieval Imago is the name of the page, and there's a website called it's called Medieval Imago. And it's and it has everything all all kinds of medieval images and present day um, pictures of the castles and of the different chateaus and things like that. Really great page. They post a lot of great historical information. They post a lot of great historical pictures, leaflets from sultries, things like that. Anything you can imagine from uh, the West or the Near East that has any kind of relevance to that time period is 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 you know is posted there, and it's run by a fantastic guy who who really does a lot of work for it so i wanted to, to give them a shout out i've been sharing a lot of their stuff on my personal page and um and i think it would be beneficial just for people to go back and see some of the artwork that people had created um you know hundreds if not thousands of years ago um for their cosmology but uh, if you want to find us on on Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash dose nation. If you want to follow us on Twitter, <clears throat> you can follow us at twitter.com forward slash dose nation. You can also uh, go to our website, dosenation.com, and we have a little Amazon um, portion there. It's a click through. And uh, we get a, an affiliate credit, right, James, for uh, from that? Sure, yep, we do. And we always enjoy the affiliate credit. Yes, we do. So thank you uh, for those who do do that. And uh, thank you for all to all of our continual donors and to all, all of the people who donate. Um, we'll keep you anonymous, of course, if you'd like. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate the support. It's always needed and it's always, uh, it's always appreciated. So, well, thanks for joining us. I hope everybody has a, a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good evening, depending on where you are in the world. I'm your host, Jay Kettle, and thanks for uh, with me, as always, is founder of DoseNation.com, and author of Psychedelic Information Theory, James Kent. James, thanks for being with us, as always. No problem. Thank you, Jake. Yes, so I'm your host, Jake Kettle. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you all next time. Stay safe, and uh, have a good... Have a good week. Yeah, have a good week, and also have a good, blessed New Year, and have a beneficial New Year, and I hope that this uh, that this year will, will prove to be a good year. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a have a uh, have a good week and a blessed year. <laughs>